Well, it's been a great weekend that I've had with you uh, so far, and uh, unfortunately I won't be able to hang around for uh, some more fellowship. Uh, but I look forward to that ice cream night tonight. But uh, uh, we're going to get back to our uh, congregation, and if uh, you could just please remember Baltimore Bible Church and your, your prayers, uh, we'd appreciate it. Uh, we uh, just totally excited about what the Lord's uh, doing out there, and uh, just pray that his hand would continue to, uh, to be with us. Uh, heard it was a pretty uneventful night. You know, no, no cougars or uh, grizzlies came out of the woods to attack anybody, so, so that's pretty good. I, I think I saw maybe a, a toddler stuck in the cornhole over there, but... Uh, <laughs> I think we're able to, to rescue uh, rescue the toddler, so uh, so things are good there. Maybe maybe a, a couple bugs. I heard one person uh, ran over a skunk last night, but uh, for whatever it's worth, that's what happened. And uh, you don't you don't want to run over a skunk. It's uh, it's pretty hard to get the smell out. So uh, anyway, let's uh, open up our Bibles to the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. Uh, the book of of Daniel, and uh, as I mentioned to you last time, the the main focus of Daniel chapter 6 uh, goes beyond Daniel's example, as good as that is for us. It goes beyond the, the faith that Daniel had. It goes beyond the courage that Daniel had. Uh, the focus of this chapter is really Daniel's God, Daniel's God, that we need to fear and tremble before the God of, of Daniel. And uh, that's the point that uh, King Darius reached at the end of this account, uh, that men are to fear and tremble before the God of, of Daniel. And uh, simply put, a God who is not worth fearing is not worth following. A God who's not worth fearing is not worth following. And uh, what I mean by that is, is that if there is another God out there uh, that's more terrifying, more awe-inspiring, uh, more glorious than the God that you serve, then you need to go and serve him. If, there, if there's another God that can take your God, you need to go and serve him. Uh, but we don't fight for a, a God who, who loses in the end. We don't trust in the God who loses in the end. We, we trust in the all-sovereign God who, who, who's in control of absolutely everything. And uh, that's essentially what the uh, people on the top of Mount Carmel understood. Remember when uh, Elijah kind of said, you know, hey, let's, let's kind of put, put the, the gods to a test. You know, we'll, we'll have uh, you guys go ahead and pray to, to your God, Baal, and I'll pray to the living God, and we'll see who, who answers by fire. And uh, if you remember the, uh, the end of that, that story, we found out that uh, God is the one who's in control of the skies. God's in the one in control of the elements. And uh, God can do away with any God that stands in his way. This is the kind of God that we serve. And if you're going to be able to stand in a den of lions, uh, you need to know that you're on the right side. And we really need to enlarge our vision of who God is. And that's what the book of Daniel is intended to do, to help us understand who this God is. Um, uh, one writer said this, Daniel wrote to a group of Jews who were in exile and under Gentile domination. They were without a king, without a land, and essentially without hope. And Daniel reminds them that there is a God in heaven who does whatever he pleases. As a group of people underneath a foreign domination, it would have been important to remind them that your God is still in control. Don't think that God's lost control of the steering wheel and we're just out of control now. They need to be reminded that there is a God who's in control even over the punishment of Israel. They need to be reminded of that because a small view of a weak God is not going to help you stand in the day of adversity. And uh, that's something that I'm, I'm very burdened and concerned, uh, especially for our, our younger people, uh, because there's these popular views of God that are circulating that won't sustain you when trouble comes, that won't sustain you in the time of adversity. A, a hip, cool, Jesus is my homeboy kind of God is not really going to help you when you're about to be thrown into a den of lions. 
That's not going to give you any kind of, of help when you're about to be eaten alive. Uh, knowing that Jesus is my homeboy doesn't really do a lot for me. Knowing that I have a God who's sovereign over absolutely everything is a help to me. And that's what we need to make sure that we're communicating uh, to our, our, our children, uh, that we need to have a greater understanding of, of who God is. If Satan is going to win, we're on the wrong team. And uh, we know that in the end, Satan does, does not win. God wins, and it doesn't matter what the scoreboard is, is saying. Even in our culture where, where things seem like they're taking a turn for the worse, it doesn't matter what the scoreboard is saying. God is still in charge, and God still wins in the end. He sits in the heavens, he rules over all, and he does whatever he pleases. And uh, we're thankful to serve a God like that. And the last time we were together, we uh, began to look at five results of fearing a sovereign God. If you fear a sovereign God, the, the first point that we looked at was that your life doesn't blend in. Uh, Daniel distinguished himself, himself among the, uh, the governors and uh, officials, the, the commissioners, the satraps. Daniel distinguished himself among them. It says, then this Daniel uh, began distinguishing himself. He maintained a, a superior character, a superior uh, work ethic. And uh, as I told you before, the fear of man doesn't produce that. Uh, just wanting to please man doesn't produce that. Uh, the fear of God is what produces that kind of, of character. Also, uh, we learned that if you fear a sovereign God, your in- integrity doesn't bend over. Uh, that people can't, can't bend you any way that they want to. Uh, if you trust in a, in a sovereign God, if you have a fear of a sovereign God, in contrast to uh, Daniel's uh, consistency of character and his firm resolve, you had this group of governors that were willing to bend the truth. They said, hey, we all got together, King Darius, and uh, uh, we want to appoint you as God for the month. Uh, they knew that they were lying, but what they counted on is that Daniel wouldn't be like them. That Daniel wouldn't, wouldn't hide who he really was. That Daniel would be a consistent person regardless of if uh, he was going to be thrown in the lines then or not. They were counting on Daniel's integrity for their plan to work. Also, the third thing that we uh, pointed out and uh, just kind of introduced last time is that if you fear a sovereign God, your, your character won't buckle under. Uh, to buckle means to, to give way, to yield, to, to crumple. Uh, and Daniel uh, was a type of person who, who wouldn't buckle under pressure. He, he held up under tremendous, um, a tremendous amount of, of pressure. And it didn't matter what kind of pressure was brought to Daniel's life. He was not going to buckle under the weight of it, even if it meant death. Uh, Look at verse 10 in uh, Daniel chapter 6. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open toward Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Uh, The upper uh, room or the the roof uh, chamber here was a, a flat surface, typically not higher than six feet off of the ground. It was the cooler part of the house. This is where people went to get some kind of refreshment and relief from the heat of the day. Uh, the windows in ancient times weren't the, the glass enclosed windows that we have today. Uh, they would have just been strips of wood kind of interlaced, uh, interlocked with uh, one another that went across the, the opening. It would prevent the sun from coming in, but it would also allow the cool breezes to still uh, come through and also allowed a measure of privacy. Uh, but Daniel wasn't private in his devotion to God, he actually flung these windows open as he as he prayed. Like I said, it wasn't necessarily in defiance of the king's edict or uh, uh, in response to the king's edict. Like now, I need to start praying. Uh, he's just doing what he always does: always open my windows to pray. I'm going to keep opening my windows to pray. That's what Daniel did. Uh, there was no command um, necessarily about praying towards Jerusalem. It was a it was a practice that was started by King Solomon in First Kings chapter eight. Uh, he says there that uh, uh, in chapter eight of First uh, uh, Kings it says, "Now therefore, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be confirmed which thou hast spoken to thy servant, my father David, 
Uh, but he will, in, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built? Yet have regard to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord, my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prays before thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house, night and day, toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which thy servant shall pray towards this place. And listen to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place here and Forgive. It was a, a practice that was started by Solomon to pray towards Jerusalem, the place where God made his presence specifically known uh, to the Israelites. But it's not that God closed his ears to your prayer if you didn't turn towards Jerusalem. It was just a, a practice that was started, and, and Daniel uh, continued to maintain this practice, to pray towards Jerusalem. He recognized God as the faithful covenant-keeping God. Jerusalem would have been about 500 miles away from, from Babylon, but he's still facing the direction of Jerusalem, knowing that God would fulfill his promise there with his people. Uh, there's also no command to pray three times a day. Uh, we learn here that Daniel prayed uh, three times a, a day. There wasn't necessarily a command to do that. In uh, Psalm 55, 17, it says, uh, evening and morning and at noon, three times a day, evening, morning, noon, uh, he will hear my voice. Uh, this is a, a, a psalm that was uh, uh, David actually wrote. Uh, to pray three times a day, that that was his practice. And uh, that was the practice of uh, Daniel as well. It kind of recognized that God is over every part of my day by praying in each each part, morning, evening, and, and noon. There was also no command to kneel and to pray. Uh, Daniel did externally what his heart was doing internally. Internally, he's recognizing God is above him, and he gets low and he humbles himself before God. So there's no necessary command to fling your windows open and pray. No command to pray three times a day. No command to kneel when you pray. But for Daniel to do anything else other than what he's already been doing would have given the impression that he was more fearful of what would happen to him if he was consistent than if he tried to change his practice. To do anything else would have demonstrated that he feared the lions more than he feared God. Daniel's not going to be private about his devotion to God now. He wasn't private about it before. So for, for Daniel to continue doing what he's doing shows and demonstrates that he had a fear of God. He had a consistency of character before his God. He maintained that consistency of character even before his enemies. And uh, Daniel's not ignorant of his enemies. He knows that these 120 satraps and governors are against him. He knows that uh, uh, even the reason that the king signed this edict, I mean, Daniel's not a dumb person. He, he understands that something's up here. Uh, the, the reason why this king is coming up with this uh, plan, apart from any kind of counsel from me when I'm one of his like top three guys, the reason that he's come up with this plan is because uh, something else is at work. He understood that. His window is, is open, and uh, there's a large group of these uh, commissioners that are down at the bottom. Uh, six feet away, Daniel knows that they're snooping around, okay? There's, there's no way that Daniel doesn't know that there's these guys that are kind of you know, making a commotion outside of his, his window. And uh, no doubt they wouldn't be able to hold in their excitement. As soon as they saw him kneel and face towards Jerusalem, they say, we got him. This is exactly, he, he fell right into our hands. Exactly as we thought. He was going to continue to pray to his God. Day one. Couldn't even stop for a day. And they can't wait to, to tell the king. And verse 11 actually uh, uh, says they came together by agreement. Again, it's this word for, for tumult. It's like uh, this loud noise and commotion that's going on at the bottom of, of Daniel's window in there. They're all kind of congratulating themselves, giving each other high fives that they've actually uh, been able to carry through with their plan. And then in verse 12 and 13, they really kind of carried off like uh, 
They're really the king's friends. Look at this. It says, then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which he signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. They, they had only seen him once, but they just kind of figured that he's going to do it two more times, right? He's, he's going to continue doing what he wants to do, regardless of what kind of injunction you make. Daniel had a consistency of character even before his enemies. And uh, what you had here is that this plan actually backfired on these uh, commissioners in a, in a sense because uh, they didn't understand the kind of devotion that the king had towards Daniel. As I said before, Daniel distinguished himself among uh, the governors. Daniel was actually, uh, actually rose to a position of prominence even over these governors. That's part of uh, why they wanted to take him down because they were jealous. Look at verse uh, 14 and 15. It says, Then as soon as the king heard the statement, he was deeply distressed. And set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. And these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. O king, you better recognize something. You've signed this thing in the law. You can't go back now, king. And here we learn that the the king was even beyond just an employer and a, a person of... a prominence and, uh, you know, oversight in, of Daniel, uh, this king also considered himself a, a friend of Daniel. He actually had an affection for Daniel. And this rule that couldn't be revoked, he tried every way possible to try to change it. Tr- tried everything in his means to change what he had done. He used all of his mind. He set his mind on it. He used all of his time. He, he did this until sunset, trying to figure some way out of this. He exerted himself. He used his energy on it. Used every possible resource that he had and here come the, the governors. Oh, king, you better recognize. You better recognize something, king. We, we've got you. There's, there's no way you can get out of this now. And, and basically, the king's been made a fool of, right? It's like he didn't want to do this. This isn't what he intended. He just thought, you know, hey, these guys like me. They want to make me God for a month. I like that. He didn't know that he was going to sentence his friend to death. And here he goes from being the God of the month to a fool in a day. They tricked him and used the king against the king. He was manipulated, and now he has to execute his own friend, somebody that he trusted. And to think about this from the perspective of of Daniel, to refuse to give this kind of honor to the king Darius, it it could have seemed like an insult. And sometimes it's a a lot harder to go against an enemy than it is to go against a friend. I mean, we we experience that in in our lives uh, sometimes that, um, you know, if if it's an enemy, sometimes we don't mind standing up and telling them the truth. You know, Jesus is God, and if you don't receive him, you know, you're, you're, you're going to die in your sins. You know, we, we can say that to, a, to an enemy. But how about when it's a friend? How about when it's like it actually would cost a relationship between you and somebody that you look up to or have an affection for or appreciate? Daniel had to stand up even to his friend. He says, you know, Darius, as much as I like you, as much as you may have an affection for me, I, I can't go along with your plan. And uh, sometimes that's the, the harder of the two, and uh, we need to be raising young people that are willing even to stand up to their friends. It's, it's, it's tough for uh, young people to stand alone often. It's, it's tough for young people to stand up against people that they like, that they appreciate being around, that they know have an affection for them. We need to be raising people 
that have a fear of God more than they value their friendships with people. That even if it costs me a relationship, that I'm willing to stand up for the truth. And Daniel had to stand up even towards a friend who was a king, Darius. You have to have a, a fear of God that goes beyond uh, friendship. And uh, this, is, this is true character. This is true character. Can you say with, with Daniel that uh, you'll have to take my life before you take away my prayers? Can you say that? That's the kind of uh, person that, that Daniel was. He had a fear of, of a sovereign God that wouldn't buckle under. Uh, number four, he had a fear of a sovereign God. If you have a fear of a sovereign God, your faith won't break down. Your faith won't break down. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. The stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Let me give you a little uh, history on, on lion's dens, okay? I'm, I'm, I know this is West Virginia, but I'm sure you don't have any lion's dens around. Let me help you out here. The, the Persians actually regarded fire as sacred, so they wouldn't use fire to execute people. Lions, on the other hand, were uh, used for sport. They, they loved to, to play with, with lions, and they wouldn't have had any problem at all sentencing somebody to death by using a lion. Lions were regarded as the royal beasts of uh, Assyria and uh, Babylon. Uh, there's actually pictures uh, that have been excavated of uh, lions on walls. It was just kind of like a, a feature of, uh, of their, their, their town, their, their, uh, their empire. Until the 1300s, it was actually common to find lions in this area. And uh, the lions would be captured with nets and uh, taken into to these pits or large caves or dens and used for the amusement of, of people, kind of like the precursor to our, our modern-day zoos. They'd capture them, put them in these dens, and allow people just to come over, take a look over the top of the cave, and watch these lions kind of play around. Uh, archaeologists have actually found lion's dens in uh, Asia, northwestern Africa, uh, which were made out of these underground caves. Uh, listen to this one description. It says, They consist of a large square cavern under the earth, having a partition wall, in the middle of it, which is furnished with a door, which the keeper can open and close from above. So it's kind of like a, a rope that you'd open the gate that separated the, the cave into two compartments. Uh, by throwing food into one side of the den, they'd entice the lions to cross over, close the gate, and then they could clean up you know, the other side of the den. Uh, the cavern's open above, has a, a large uh, mouth surrounded by a small wall. Uh, which one can look over and kind of peer down into the into the den. So so here's the picture. You'd have this this kind of cave with a, a an opening on one side with a door, and then a, a hole up top where you can look down. And then the cave was you know, split into two uh, by the by the gate that separated one part of the cave from the the other. So what would happen is uh, they'd throw food into to one side of the, the the den, close the door, lift up the gate, and dinner served for the lions. The lions would travel over to the other side of the den to, to get their food. And in this case, the food is Daniel. They open the door, put Daniel in, close the door, lift the gate, and dinner served. You know, the lions can, can have Adam. There's no way for Daniel to physically escape. Uh, the walls would have been too high to climb. The stone over the gate would have been too heavy to move. So he can't push his way out of the opening on the side. He can't climb up to get away from the lions. He can't get out legally because the king has sealed him in with this signet ring. It was a, usually they place a piece of wax over the, the door. The king would seal it and basically say that anybody who breaks the seal uh, has to answer to me uh, for breaking the seal. So there's no way for him legally to get out. So there's no way for him to, to get out physically from within. There's no way for him to legally get out from the, the outside. 
But if you have a fear and fear and trust of a sovereign God, your faith doesn't break down even in the face of a situation uh, like this. His trust in God didn't guarantee that he'd make it out of the den. That's something important for us to, to recognize. Uh, Daniel doesn't have any assurance here that he's going to be rescued from the lion's den. He, he goes into this pretty much thinking that this is it. You know, over 80 years old, and this is how the Lord has chosen for me to, to go out. Going to go out with a, with a bang or a, uh, go out with a, with, a, with a nail and tooth, right? He says, I'm, I'm just going to go out like this. Daniel has no idea that he's going to make it out. And uh, there's, there's groups today like the, the Word of Faith movement that would say that, that faith, you know, if, if you have a real faith, faith always gets you out of a jam. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith, the kind of faith that the Bible describes is a faith that you can hold on to, even if God says, this is it. That's true faith. If you uh, flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, I'll just show you something real quick. This is fascinating, and I know you guys are uh, going to be going through the, the book of uh, at least Hebrews chapter 11 uh, pretty soon. But this is uh, important to, to pay attention to here, because it, it talks about this, this great hall of faith. And like I said, Daniel's included in this list in uh Verses 32 to 35, we have examples of deliverance and rescue. Look at uh, verse 32 here. It says, And what more shall I say, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received, their, uh, received back their dead by resurrection. And you say, yeah, that's the kind of faith I'm talking about. Yeah, I want faith. I want to have this kind of faith. Obtaining promises, conquering kingdoms, quenching the power of fire, shutting the mouths of lions. But look at this. You also have uh, something else that, that follows this. It says, uh, right after women received their, back their dead by resurrection, others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And you say, no, that's not the kind of faith I want. I want the faith that, you know, conquers kingdoms and gets me out of a jam and receives my dead back. But... In Hebrews chapter 11, we find that faith also gets you tortured and persecuted and put to death, ill-treated, afflicted. The, the word of faith movement needs to pay attention to both halves of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, right? Faith is not just for the, you know, getting me out of a jam, you know, my get out of jail free card. That's not what faith is. Faith is a confidence in God that even if this is it, even if I'm going to be put to death, even if the lions are going to devour me, I'm still going to trust in God. I'm not going to turn back. If I perish, I perish. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. Same faith, different results. And whether Daniel made it or not, it's not the point. His faith remained firm because he feared in a sovereign God. You can rest in a God like this. You can trust in a God like this. This is the kind of God uh, that we need to be explaining to our, our youth. The king, on the other hand, wasn't doing so well. If you read in uh, verses 18 to 20, it says, Then the king went off to his palace, spent the night fasting, no entertainment was brought before him. His sleep fled from him. And the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, as your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? The king 
King wasn't doing so well all night. He knows that he's just sentenced a friend to death. He's, no, I don't want to eat any food. Don't bring any food to me. Don't bring me any entertainment. I can't sleep. He had hope, but it wasn't much hope. And it wasn't at all, um, he wasn't at all prepared to hear what he heard from, back from Daniel. In verse 21, it says, Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. You know, maybe, maybe the king had some like slim hope that maybe he's like mangled in a corner somewhere and, you know, Daniel's ba- barely able to make a peep. King, I'm down there, help me. Right? He's not expecting this. Oh, king, live forever. And he talks about how the, the angels showed up. Look what he says. It says, my God, in verse 22, sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me in as much as I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. I've committed no crime, king. You know that. Angels shows up. Uh, angels actually show up frequently in the, the book of Daniel. They show up in the furnace. They show up in visions. And here you have an angelic being who shows up in the lion's den and shut the mouth of the lion. And uh, not only did the angel have to shut the mouth of the lion, he would have also had to control his paws because lion's paws are pretty powerful. Uh, listen to this. Uh, the forebody of the lion is very powerfully built, has the greatest forebody strength of any cat except possibly the tiger. This enables the lion to deliver blows with its forepaws, heavy enough to break a zebra's back. This is the kind of power that a, that a lion carries. Each toe is equipped with very sharp, retractable claws. The claw of a large lion can be one and a half inches or more. This is the, the, the kind of, of power that God was able to, to hold back, and of course he can if he created the lion, right? To survive all night with the den of lions was clearly a work of, of God, clearly a work of God and Darius understood that, didn't waste any time trying to coax the lion back on the other side and try to, you know, lift up this cage. He just throws down a rope and says, let's get Daniel out of here. We got to hoist him up. And after examining Daniel in verse 23, he doesn't even find a scratch on him. Look at verse 23. Then the king was very pleased, gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So that would have been out of that large hole in the, the top of the den, hoisted him up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him. Because he had trusted in his God. Daniel's deliverance is a vindication of, of his character. His innocence before the, the king. And uh, maybe if he was mangled by the lions, maybe the king would have thought, well, who knows? Maybe, maybe he really did do something wrong and this is his punishment. But he, he didn't do anything wrong. It was a vindication before his, his enemies. You know, maybe his enemies would have thought, you know, hey, if uh, we can get Daniel taken care of, maybe that means that, that his God really isn't worth serving after all. But uh, Daniel was vindicated even before his his enemies. Uh, His enemies didn't outwit Daniel's God. And like I said, God may not vindicate you in this life necessarily. You know, having faith in God doesn't mean that you'll you'll, uh, uh, pass through life unscathed. But God will one day vindicate all people who trust in him. And we need to need to understand that in uh, Romans chapter nine and verse 33, it says, just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. If you place your trust in God, God promises you that you won't be disappointed. You may not be vindicated in this life necessarily, but in eternity, you won't be disappointed. You know, the scriptures talk about what we go through now is like momentary and light afflictions. It's like you, you won't be disappointed in all of eternity. It's, it'll seem like that. Whatever you went through in this life, whatever rejection you experience, persecution you experience, it'll be like a moment because eternity is forever. What is 50, 60, 70, 80 years down here when you have eternity to bask in the glory of God? It's worth it. It's worth it to live for God. Don't be fooled by all the, 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 the little gems and things that the world tries to present to us like they really have life, like they understand what's going on. 
It's so temporary. It's so passing. That's not what we need to be focused on. We need to have a faith that doesn't break down because we trust in a God who never breaks down. We need to have a fear in a sovereign God. So if you have a fear of, of a sovereign God, your life won't blend in. Integrity doesn't bend over. Your character doesn't buckle under. Your faith doesn't break down. And here's the last one. Your light won't blow out. Your light won't blow out. Look at uh, verses 24 to 28. It says, Then the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Remember that uh, strike that could break a zebra's back? This is what pounced on them here. Overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So here you have it. There's a contrast between the end of Daniel's accusers Life and the end of Daniel's life. And the contrast can be more stark. Let's look at the, the accuser's end. Uh, the, the king, who by this time knows that he was made a fool of by the commissioners, he, he makes, makes lion's food out of these guys. Lion's food. Not only out of them, but also out of their, their family. Through them and their families into the, the lion den. And notice he, he didn't put them in from the side. You know, he didn't like break the seal, open the door and let him come in through the side. He actually tossed him over the top of the den. You know, the, the opening from the top, he just threw him in, tossed him in. In verse 24, it says they had not reached the bottom of the den, meaning that they were thrown in from the top, the place where they'd kind of look over the side and observe what's going down. He says, that's going to be your entrance into the lion's den. We're pushing you in from the top. And the lions were so hungry that their new arrivals didn't even hit the bottom before all of their bones were shattered. This is a powerful kind of blow. Like I said, the one that can break a zebra's back. They just probably tossed these guys around in the air until, like it says, every bone was broken before they reached the bottom. And the whole family is wiped out for this one. Whole family. And often in, in Persian law, when the head of a household broke a law, his whole family suffered for it. And uh, there was a couple reasons for this. One was it was a more intense and severe kind of punishment to know that not only you would be sacrificed, but also your family. It's, it's a more intense and severe uh, uh, kind of uh, judgment. It also prevented the, the children from growing up to avenge their father. You know, if you left kind of Junior hanging around, he's like, hey, you know, when I get old enough, you're going to get yours. It's like, no, Junior, you're going into, right? The whole family's being tossed in. And uh, families were often thought to be part of the plan. Whatever the plan their fathers came up with, uh, that the families were at least compliant with it. So they wanted to make sure they covered everybody. You know, if dad goes, the whole family goes. And we find uh, many examples in scripture of whole families being judged together. Uh, the sins of the father passed down to the, the children. And uh, you have Achan in uh, Joshua chapter 7. Remember, he stole some things uh, that he wasn't supposed to, and his whole family was destroyed for it. Uh, Korah in Numbers chapter 16, his whole family was taken down. The, the earth opened up and swallowed him and his family whole. Gehazi in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, he received leprosy, but also his whole family until the whole generation was wiped out. And this, this is an important lesson, especially for us fathers, to learn that, that when you sin as a father, it does not only affect you, 
that it affects everybody in your household. And sometimes we think that, you know, hey, if I sin, it's just me. It's just my personal sin. You need, you need to put that thought away from your mind. If I sin, I'm dragging my family down with me. Every time I make a, a personal decision to transgress the law of God, I'm actually affecting the members of my household when I do that. Especially as fathers, we need to be so careful of that one. You can be sure that as the, the head of, of your household, that your sins affect the rest of your family. And we're never given the names of Daniel's accusers. God makes sure that their, their memory is wiped out. Family tree was chopped from the root. There's nothing left of their, their family. And that's compared with Daniel's end in verse 28. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the, the Persian. And we're left with this enduring testimony of a man who feared God. Feared God more than he did anybody else, more than being torn apart by lions. He says, if I'm going to go down, I'm, I'm going down. If I perish, I perish. It doesn't matter if you take my life. I'm going to trust and fear this God. Paul in uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of his grace. He says, it's been, it's been told to me that you know, if I go to Jerusalem, that I'm going to be taken away with chains and everything else. He says, I don't care. You know, my, my life doesn't really mean that much to me. I just want to finish my course. I want to fulfill my ministry. Later on in uh, chapter 21 of Acts, uh, Paul says, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for this name of the Lord Jesus. He says, I'm, I'm not only willing to be bound, I'm, I'm willing to die. And people are crying, weeping, Paul, please don't go. Don't. He says, my, my life doesn't really mean that much. As long as I fulfill my ministry, I mean, that's the, the important thing. And that's the kind of enduring testimony that you can have. You can have that kind of enduring testimony if you fear a sovereign God. If you fear a sovereign God, your life doesn't blend in, bend over, buckle under, break down, and uh, your light doesn't blow out. Daniel had an enduring testimony that he feared a sovereign God. So these are the results of of fearing God. And uh, like I said, much more than Daniel's example and his faith and his courage uh, what we learn about here is who Daniel's God is, and that's who we need to, to stand before and, and tremble. And the point that King Darius walked away from the lion's den with is, you know, men need to fear and tremble before this kind of, of God. And I pray that that's the response that we have as we read this. And then uh, uh, in 25 to, to 27, uh, what Darius does is he kind of captures what he learned from the lion's den, and he communicates it with his whole kingdom. So here we have a pagan king who's writing truth about God. This is the second time it shows up. Something like this shows up in Daniel. Uh, We have uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. I referred to that earlier, uh, that he understood who this God was. And now we have uh, Darius, the the king, and he's coming to an understanding of who this God was. And he writes and communicates truth to communicate to other people about who this God is. Whether Darius became a believer here or not, we're not sure. Uh, But this is impressive, what he writes about God. This is impressive truth. About God, and there's seven points that I just want to leave you uh, leave you with uh, that demonstrate uh, a reason to fear Daniel's God. Seven reasons to fear Daniel's Daniel's God, and th- this is what was written to, to men in every language in his kingdom. He wanted everybody to know this. Look in verse 25 again. It says, "Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land: May your peace abound." I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For, right? That word for is introducing the reasons. These are the reasons why you need to fear Daniel's God. Why do I need to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel? For, number one, he's a living God. 
for he is a living God. God's active hand in shutting the, the lion's mouths convinced Darius that God was alive. He's not like the, the dead, mute, deaf, inactive idols that we're worshiping. He's not like the statue that we have in the middle of our city that we fall down before. This is a God who's alive. He moves. He's active. Second thing, Daniel's God is eternal. Look at verse 26. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he's the living God and enduring forever. This is a God who is eternal. He reasoned that a God who is this powerful and this active is not in danger of going extinct. This God has been around forever, and he's going to be around forever. He's the, the one who's enduring forever. Number three, Daniel's God is the unchanging God. The unchanging God. Look what else he says. He says that his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This God is not going to, to change. The kingdom of a God like this can't be destroyed because God can never be destroyed. He understands that God is the unchanging God. Theologians call that God's immutability. The God doesn't change. Fourth thing, Daniel's God is the sovereign God. Sovereign God. He's in control. Verse 26 again at the end. And his dominion will be forever. Dominion. He's in charge. His kingdom will remain forever. He will be in charge forever. His dominion or authority or sovereignty has no challenges, is not surpassed, no competition. This God is in charge. Fifth thing, Daniel's God is a delivering God. He's a delivering God. Look at verse 27. He delivers and rescues. Basically what he's saying is, you know what? Daniel's God is a savior. Daniel's God is a savior. He delivers and he rescues. This is just the kind of God that he is. He saw this one act of delivering Daniel from the, the den of lions. And he says, this, this just talks about the character of who God is. He's just a delivering, rescuing God. That's who this God is. Number six, Daniel's God is the powerful God. He performs signs and wonders. Look at verse 27. He delivers and rescues, performs signs and wonders. And again, he looks at this one sign and wonder, and he says, this is just what God does overall. He's the, 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 the God who works wonders. He's the powerful God. He says what this God does, he, he, in, in singular, in rescuing Daniel, he does in the plural. He works signs and wonders. This is who this God is. Number seven, Daniel's God is the universal God, the universal God. Look at verse 27 again. It says, he delivers and rescues, performs signs and wonders. Look at this, in heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth. Lastly, Darius says that if uh, Daniel's God has this kind of power on earth, he must obviously exercise this kind of power in heaven too. He's the God of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. This is what he learned from Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den. He learned all of this about God from this narrative. He's living God, the eternal God, the unchanging God, the sovereign God, the delivering God, the powerful God, the universal God. Is that typically what you get out of Daniel and the lion's den? Were, were, were you able to pull out all the things that Darius was able to pull out of that? Likely, likely not. I know I, I didn't. <laughs> but this is what Darius comes up with. He says, you know what Daniel and the lion's den teaches me? It teaches me that God is living, eternal, unchanging, sovereign, delivering, powerful, universal. That's what Daniel in the lion's den teaches me. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted in, in Jesus Christ, you need to be rescued from much more than a lion. You need to be rescued from God himself. Because the, the kind of God that can rescue is also the kind of God that gives judgment. He's also the God that, that gives judgment. And God's fury is much worse than any den of lions that we could be thrown in. 
We need to fear and tremble before a, a God like this. We don't want to end up on the wrong side of a God like this. For, for Daniel, who trusted in God, he was hoisted up, delivered, rescued. Those that were on the opposite side working against Daniel, they were tossed in from the top. Didn't reach the bottom before every bone was broken. You don't want to end up on the wrong side of a God like this. And the only place of safety from God is in God. The only place of safety from God is, is in God. That's the only place that you can be, be safe. That you're found in him. That you're found in union with Jesus Christ. And the way that we have union with Jesus Christ is by faith and by faith alone, right? We turn from our sins and we trust completely in him. And Jesus' perfect life that he lived in our place, he lived a perfect, absolutely perfect life that none of us could live. So he gave God the perfection that he deserved. And the judgment that was due to you for your sins, the penalty that was due to you for your sins, Christ satisfied that fully and completely on the cross. And for all those that would turn and trust in him, he gives them eternal life, eternal life. Daniel's God is a savior. And Daniel's God can be a savior for you today if you trust in, in him. Like I said, this is, this is the kind of view that we need to teach our children. This is the kind of view that we need to have of who God is, a, a fear of, of God. And, uh, and this is what causes people to run towards God when they understand the kind of God that they deal with. I remember uh, uh, just a couple of years ago, I went to a shepherd's conference, and uh, there was a, a number of pastors that were from uh, Lebanon uh, that presented MacArthur with the, the first Arabic copy of the MacArthur Study Bible. And uh, he allowed the guys to get up and just kind of say a couple words. And they said that, you know, in this short period of time, it's like in a Muslim-dominated area. He says, in this short window of opportunity that we have uh, to, to give people truth, when, when we have this freedom, to you know, this religious freedom, uh, he says, what's coming, on, coming into our, our country from, from America? He says, we, we get a... Um, this kind of light, fluffy view of God. We get just people want to smile and tell you about your best life now and everything's, you know, kind of warm and fuzzy. He says, that kind of view of God is not going to sustain us. He says, if this freedom ever leaves, we, we have people that will be persecuted for their faith. That people know are Christians and they're going to die for their faith. They don't need somebody coming along and saying, hey, you want to have your best life now? The best life is not now. <laughs> the best life is in eternity. And he says, for, for these people, you know, getting kind of pumped in from, you know, the, the Christian media, he says, this kind of view of God is not going to sustain us when the persecution hits. The kind of God that we need to understand is a, is a God that's high and exalted and lifted up and sovereign and in complete control. That even if we do lose our lives, that we know that he wins in the end. That's the kind of God that you need to present before your children. If, if your kids are ever going to stand the test of time, if you're ever going to stand the test of time, you need to understand who this God is. Tozer said this, he says, who would not fear you, O Lord God of hosts, most high and most terrible? For you alone are Lord. You have made heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all things therein, and your hand, in your hand is the soul of every living thing. That's the kind of God that we serve. The God who's absolutely sovereign in control of everything. And if you fear a God like that, you'll be able to stand the test of time and be like Daniel. He said, just, if you're going to throw me in, just throw me in. Be like Polycarp. You know, if, if, if you want to let the beast loose, let him loose. The only way that we have that kind of faith is not saying, hey, I, I just, you know, I love Polycarp so much. I just want to be like him. It's not saying I love Daniel so much. I just want to be like a Daniel. What it is, is I fear God so much that I can be like a Daniel. You understand the difference?
We need to have a fear of God and understanding of who God is. That's the only way that we can follow the example that Daniel or any other faithful saint had in the past, that we understand who their God is and we have a fear of him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again for uh, the time that we've been able to spend in your word. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, what I've communicated has been helpful and uh, that you would bless your people uh, by your truth, Lord. Uh, uh, I know what I have to say isn't all that important. It's what your word has to say. And, uh, Father, I just pray that they'd be able to go back to passages like these time and time again uh, to fortify themselves for whatever may come in the future. Uh, Father, I pray that we would look to you as your people. We trust you. We fear you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen.